I gave up being so hard on myself. And that's what I meant by I gave up caring. And when you see me on the start line of races, I'm usually dancing and, and bopping around because that's my way of just like literally shaking off the pressure and the stress and saying like putting both middle fingers up in the air figuratively. Literally just like saying like F off to all of the pressure and all of the bullshit. Like this is now my fun and I do not care what happens at the finish line. I just care about how I enjoy the process of getting there. Movement is a part of everything we do in our lives, but when it comes to sport, we know athletes aren't born to move a certain way, they have to work for it. But I always wonder if above ability, some people are hardwired to push harder, to suffer more than the rest of us. This show is not a training guide. This is a show about people who found within themselves a pure joy of pushing their bodies, using their practice and movement daily as a tool to guide the rest of their lives. I'll be interviewing friends from a global network of inspiring athletes of all levels, people I've sweat with, who show me progress and results take hard work in the gym, in nutrition, in mindfulness, and dealing with setback. And those who remind us, above all, being active should be fun. This is In Motion, our first guest, Canada's fastest woman in the marathon, Olympian Lanny Marchant. Hello and welcome to In Motion for this, an inaugural meditation on lives dedicated to movement, where for the first few episodes, I'll dedicate the conversation to running. And as I mentioned off the top, I'll start this project by interviewing people from within my own network of inspiring athletes and branch out from there. Really, I couldn't have asked for a better guest to launch this show than Lenny Marchant. She is the Canadian women's record holder in the marathon, half marathon, and has also won numerous Canadian titles in the 10K, also a Pan Am's bronze medalist in the 10,000 in 2015. I had met Lenny on a few occasions at races in the past, but when she recently relocated to Toronto, I was lucky that Lenny was looking for people to help her train and also started hanging out with my local crew, Parkdale Roadrunners. In sharing miles with her as a journalist, but mostly as a fan, I, of course, had a lot of questions. As a marathon runner, I'm lucky to now be able to pick the brain of the very best, a woman who can teach you so much about racing in a single run than you could probably ever learn from a magazine or training plan. Very quickly in talking to Lenny, I learned that most people don't know the half of the year she's had to go through. There is the usual public speaking, media coverage, sponsorship appearances, the random dope testing, and pressure to perform and race that comes along with being an Olympian, of course. She's also balancing working remotely as a criminal lawyer for her firm that's in Tennessee. But there's also been a fallout from a public spat with Athletics Canada about being able to run in two events at the 2016 Rio Summer Olympics criticism about her choice to pose without a shirt on, and then from the trolls who've come through the woodwork following her public speaking about gender and body image. And oh yeah, her Team Canada funding was pulled, even though she's consistently one of the best in this country. Above it all, there's also been several health concerns, including an ailment that causes her leg to sort of shut down when she gets up to that insane race pace, kind of an issue with the training it requires to be an elite runner. She pushed through that in Rio, and then last fall at the New York City Marathon, where she finished seventh, the top finish ever by a Canadian woman. And then on top of it all, right around Christmas time, her father passed away. I also learned that Lenny moved to Toronto to be close to treatment and in the past months has been balancing numerous medical appointments, also footing the bill to fly to the U.S. for other treatment on her leg. 
And through it all, Lanny was still putting down 80 or 90 miles a week in training through the winter, right up until a surgery that made her really quite sick. Races her bread and butter are now sort of only penciled into the calendar, nothing for sure. I first interviewed Lanny via Skype in the winter when she was at her annual training base in Kenya, where she said something that inspired the name of this show. You'll hear that in the interview. Lenny is smart, thoughtful, razor-sharp with witty comebacks and, of course, mega-sarcastic. And she sometimes makes me laugh until I feel I can't breathe when we're out running together. It could also just be her foot speed that kills me or pace and drinking IPA after those runs. But she's also very pointed and outspoken, and I needed to get this all on tape, I felt. This is what I wanted to unpack. More than talent, Lanny has incredible resilience, perhaps stubbornness, you could say, that I think pushes her to keep moving and trying all the time to get faster, despite the setback. This is my conversation with Lanny Marchant. I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to our first show. We are in the nation's capital in Ottawa for Ottawa Race Weekend. Tonight is the 5K and the 10K, the Canadian Road Race Championship. Uh, tomorrow, the half marathon and the marathon, just sitting along the Rideau Canal with uh, the woman that's won that 10K the last couple of years. Hey, Lenny. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Pretty tough for you, I think, to be sitting here along. What is the course of this 10K race, but not racing tonight? Yeah, uh, this is by far my one of my most favorite favorite races to do I ran this race before I was before any of you guys knew who the heck I was so uh and I went to law school here it was just a it's my favorite race and I'll be commentating which will be a a fun thing to do but my heart's gonna hurt a little bit tonight yeah is it two years in a row you won this race I've been top Canadian since 2013 at this race. Uh, it's been our national championships the last two years. So 20, well, this is now the third year. 2015 and 2016, though, I won the national title. Yeah. I was running with you yesterday. You were so gracious and in inviting me out on a shakeout run because I'm racing tonight in the 10K for my third year in a row. It's pretty cool. And I think you said at one point we were running along the canal, like along along the route, along the famous Rideau Canal. And you said like, I love this course. And I don't know. I could just sense like that pain in there a little bit that you're not going to be out there today yeah i i've been very fortunate in my running career i've never had to miss a big race ever i've never had to miss a race that i wanted to do i've once i stopped breaking myself in my 20s i got a i got a nice lucky streak there and so this is the first time i've had to withdraw from a race and for it to be this race is it's gut-wrenching but yeah, they're still letting me be here and be part of the weekend, and that's, I think, making it a bit better. I think I'd be hurting a lot more if I were back in Toronto or down in Tennessee and just kind of spectating through the computer. We're just be being served some tea here. Thank you so much. Um, we're sitting at a canal-side cafe, which is really nice, beautiful, sunny day in Ottawa. So it'll be uh, it'll be tough to cross that finish line tonight. Hopefully I make it there, but the last two years I've, I've seen you there um, with that Canadian flag around your shoulders as, as the champion. Last year, I think, was the first time I got to speak with you in person. We'd known each other on social media a little bit, but saying hello to you and, and seeing like that just smile on your face that, you know, it's so special to win here, I guess. Um, what has that meant to you in the last couple of years, especially as it's sort of a lead-in race to the Pan Am Games and to Rio last year? Yeah, well, this race, I have a history with it because the majority of the time I get passed by the second Canadian woman anywhere from 4 to 6k and then I battle back and pass back by 8k and then I run that last friggin case 
scared shitless that they're gonna outkick me. So that's why I love this race is that was the, f- the first time ever in my career that I got past and didn't give up and battled back was 2013 when Krista Duchesne pulled away just after 4K heading out on the course and by six or 7K I passed her back. And that was huge for me because I, like anybody, like, I think a lot of people forget that we as elites, we have the same mind games and same issues that other people have in runs. So 2013 was the first time ever in a race I got past and actually didn't get down on myself and give up. I, I fought back. And then 2014, Rachel Hannah did it to me and I had to battle back from her. Uh, 2015, Natasha and I had a good back and forth through the first couple K and then I ran scared. Um, last year with that nice tropical rainstorm, we kind of all were in our spots by four or five K and there wasn't that pass back. But, uh, yeah, this, this course is, it can be fast. We saw that in 2015 with Natasha and I both dipping under 32, but it's, it's difficult and it's, it's a good course. If you're not paying attention, it's meandering. So you can end up running extra. There's the challenge of the men coming after us. So I always try to make it to eight or nine K before the lead men try to get me. There's just so much going on in this race. You're racing the top Africans in the world. You're battling your Canadian teammates. You're battling the men. Yeah. And it's always been that race where I kind of just see what I have in the tank and challenge myself. And it did in 2015, it set me up well. It gave me confidence going into Pan Am games. Uh, Last year, it set me up well because, like I said, it was hot as heck. Um, so it simulated Rio. And then I also did the simulation for Rio of my double. So this was a very important race for me the last couple of years. So we're talking about Natasha Wodak there, right, who is always sort of in the mix with you in, in those races and uh, got to meet her yesterday as well in our run, which was was quite nice. And I guess you'd have to put the, the money on her today. I really um, am a huge fan of her now even more because she um, – she asked if I was going to beat her in the race, which um, I love that she thinks I can run faster than her. Um, but I told her the only reason um, she's going to beat me is because the women get a head start So in this <laughs> race. But anyways, I've got to know you in the last few months, and you've come in and started training with us in Toronto at Parkdale Roadrunners. And I've heard you say a few times now that, that you'd love to get back to 2015. The reason you're not racing now is is dealing with some health issues and and I just wonder like now that you're on the mend you're not racing is that what you're trying to get back to is a place you were before or how do you sort of build forward from that when you are totally out of it not running yeah well you never can get back uh like I would love I'd give anything to go back because you you always take for granted when running's going well and 2015 was such a freaking amazing year I was running fast without really even having to try and all of a sudden 2016 we were doing the same things and I couldn't run as fast and we couldn't figure it out and now with you know hindsight being 2020 we realized there was this underlying health concern that just it was like a virus running in the back of a computer like you can't figure out why your computer's running slow 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 and then finally you figure it out and you you defrag and your computer runs quicker than ever um, that's what we're hoping will happen here but no there's no going back I don't I can't get back to 2015 I'm a different runner now than I was in 2015 um, I can hope to kind of find that part of running where it's easy again where it's hard you put in the work but the times come to you a bit easier and the workouts come to you easier yeah like we've known what was wrong with me since November this year but uh, last year was it was hard and I, I mentioned it briefly in my my blog after Rio 
that just I was sicker than I'd ever been and it was just not the the build we had imagined for the Olympics and I think most athletes go through that is you you put all your heart and soul into something and everyone was telling me that it was stress and I was it was the pressure I was putting on myself but in the back of my mind I was going no like I know myself and like law school's hard and it was stressful I've you know I've been in battle with AC before like none of that is what's causing this and we couldn't figure it out um, and then it turned out that my kidney decided it didn't want to be part of the program anymore uh, and that's what we've been dealing with since November is trying to sort out why and how and what we could do to fix it so now I am on the mend and taking care of the kidney and getting rid of the infection that was plaguing me probably for the last 18 months is huge because now I know the difference between the fatigue I had that we couldn't explain and being tired because I'm I'm getting back into training and I'm you know I'm not necessarily sleeping very well because I've, I've been busy in Baltimore and here in Ottawa it's a different feeling I'm, I'm tired but it's actual I, I know where the tiredness is coming from whereas the last 18 months we couldn't we couldn't figure it out so long answer to say like I can't be the 2015 Lanny ever again that was 2015 Lanny but I'm hopeful that I find that magic sweet spot again and I think being healthy I'll, I'm you know I have a lot better shot at doing it than I did all last year yeah fair enough a few things I'd love to unpack there including um Baltimore which you were just in uh this week um for a new shoe contract which was all over the Canadian running news, I guess you could say, as, as a landmark deal. You'll have to explain what that means. But um, going back to 2015, I mean, you mentioned earlier that that's sort of when you came on the radar of most people in Canada running at home in, in Toronto. Well, not your home, but your home province and in Canada in the Pan Am Games and, and coming away with a bronze medal and, and then doubling in Rio. So you've become a known entity to people outside of the running world, even though it's 2013 when you set the Canadian women's marathon record, uh, also in Toronto. But along with all of that, I mean, we've talked about the health problems that, that have come subsequently, but also you never seem to avoid the controversy somehow. And I don't know if it just really comes along with being a, a more known in Canada, but there's been a, a number of things in the past month you've also had to deal with. And how does that affect your training and your mindset and your your ability to to power through and just focus on what you do as a runner I mean there's a number of things um a magazine photo shoot um athletics Canada um not being happy with you um being a little forward and outspoken how, how does that affect the way you approach what you do it doesn't like I I am who I am uh and you, you get Lanny. Like, you get what you pay for with me. And I've always, always been that way. So, yeah, it's been strange that in the last year or two, people are a bit shocked or they they don't, they don't weren't expecting this from me. But I've been like this forever. It's just the thing that changes my platform got bigger, I guess, or people started paying attention. Um, I've always been good at putting things on their shelves and compartmentalizing. So from this weekend last year until start of July... I didn't know what I was doing in Rio. Like they, like, you know, it, it was frustrating. Athletics Canada just left me with this big question mark over my head. And I could have, you know, let that affect training or I could just put my head down and train like I knew what I was doing. And, you know, the, the cards would, would fall where they, they would come July. So 
that's what I did. You know, not to say that it didn't affect me and there weren't sleepless nights that probably also negatively affected my, the illness I was battling in the background. But, uh, as far as training, like, like 2012, Kristen, I said that we weren't going to not run. We weren't going to sit there and appeal to be on the Olympic team and sit on our butts and not run. Like you get out and run. And that's kind of been my approach through everything. Um, 2013, 2014, 2015 kind of went a bit more smoothly and I didn't have the same battles with AC. 2016 had the battles with AC. Uh, This fall and winter had battles in the social media world and um, it all started because I wore clothes to the parliament here in Ottawa and uh, I wasn't expecting that to be a battle. I thought that was something I was doing that was really positive and good for my sport and for my gender and for both genders really. And it, we, it went sideways. And again, I could have let that change things and affect how I raced in New York or prepped for New York. But it was out of my control. And I, I say that a lot in running. Like, you do everything you can in training to be the best athlete and best runner you can. But part of the fun of racing and part of the stuff that scares you shitless is that when that gun goes, it, you're, it's out of your control. You... Don't, you don't get to control the tactics of the race. You don't get, get to control what other people are going to do. You don't get to control what your body does. You, you've prepped it as best you can, but you can't guarantee that it's going to behave or it's going to respond when you want it to. And since I can't control that, then I've also learned to let go and not try to control other things that are out of my, my power. And I just put it on the shelf, deal with what I can, and take things as they come. Uh, and it doesn't change me. It doesn't make me any less vocal. Um, it doesn't make me spiteful either. It doesn't make me more vocal or more vindictive. I'm just going to continue to be Lanny, and people either like it or they don't. It's not in my control how they receive it. So just to unpack a few of the things uh, there for the people that will be listening to this podcast, you mentioned the battles with Athletics Canada. What happened last year is, is you're the fastest in the marathon you're also one of the fastest in the in the 10,000 so you had qualified for both events in Rio and weren't sure which one they were going to let you go to and initially they sort of said you got to do one and since women hadn't been at the marathon it's since 1996 is that right in Atlanta we hadn't had a woman uh, because the standards are so hard and that's another thing you've you've talked about is that the the standard is is quite hard Um, but also in speaking in par- at Parliament here, you were invited by the Heritage Committee to speak about um, gender and women in sport in, in Canada. And that, what what kind of controversy did that stir up? You were talking about equal platforms and equal opportunities for men and women to succeed. Do we have that in the country? And, and what, what sort of spiraled out of that, if you can explain that? Yeah, so we were talking about, we were unpacking a lot of things. We were talking about the commentary on women in the Olympics this summer. We had... Arguably, our women's team was more successful than our men's. Um, we are, Andre de Grasse won our first male medal, and that was the second week of competition. We had plenty of medals leading into that, and that was from our swimmers and our women. But the commentary was very much on the looks of the women or uh, addressing the male coaches or the male spouses and everybody behind them, the men behind them that helped them get there. And it was, it was bothersome to me, and it was bothersome to a lot of people because... They're athletes. Like, we're athletes. We're all equal. We're all athletes. And just as I don't want to be commented on for my look or my body or what I wear to race in, I don't think the men should either. 
And apparently, because I race in little bottoms and a little bra top, I'm not allowed to say, don't comment on my body. And that was what happened at the House of Commons. The, the, the members of Parliament and the committee members received what I said very well. Uh, Canadian Running put a little snippet of the, the, my discussion up on their website, and it, it went viral, and people didn't receive my words well, which was surprising. We were talking about how, you know, the coverage had been equal of the women and men, but if the men's team had been more successful, would the coverage have been more heavily weighted male? And I'm not trying to guarantee that it would have, but it just seemed like for the women to get equal coverage, we had to exceed beyond anything, whereas the men's team still got 50% of the coverage. And it wasn't that minutes mattered. It was the quality of the coverage was different. So it was a lot that we were discussing, but what came out of it was that, well, I think there was one comment that next time I go do a, a talk like that, I should show up in my bra and panties because give the committee members an idea of who I really am and what I really do. And I was pretty insulted by that. Like, I, I'm an attorney. I know how to dress appropriately. And what I wear to compete in does not detract from what I'm doing out there. Uh, I'm good friends with Eric Gillis and Reed Coolsat. And I work just as hard as they do. And the fact that my uniform looks different than theirs does not make me any less of an athlete. And that's the point I was make, trying to make. And, uh, yeah, it just it went sideways for some reason. It, it's come back around, and there was a lot of positive uh, comments also, and that's what I held on to, and that kind of got me through that. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to change what I race in. So I went to New York, and I think I posted that I was going to go r- line up in my traditional garb and run as fast as I could and everyone else could kind of piss off if they didn't like it. That was the New York City Marathon where already sort of battling the the injuries that have that have plagued you um, that was this past November you ended up finishing seventh right which is the best ever for a Canadian woman so that's okay. Yeah it was a great race and to have it you know that was a good cherry on top after the Olympics but yeah I finished that race and realized something was really wrong with my body and it wasn't a, you know shin splints or a break or anything it was my actual body was was cooked and I chalked it up to it had been a big year and that was a big ask to do another marathon after the the epic Rio double but then we realized that it, it was, had nothing to do with the running or the racing it was just something was wrong with my body um but yeah like that race was amazing I actually think I enjoyed it was one of my favorite marathons I've ever done uh because there was no pressure like you the goal four years ago was to make the Olympics and compete, and I did it in two events. I'm the record holder. I have national titles. I've been on every team I could ever possibly make, or that I want to make, that is, because I have no desire to run world cross-country. <laughs> and I actually don't think I could make that team. Those girls are tough. So there was no pressure. It was absolutely a race for me, and I I haven't gotten to do that in a while. And that's it gave me a taste of what I want to do for the next four years, is do the races that I want to do. And if it makes me a national record holder or it gives me a national title or runs me onto a team fantastic but that's not necessarily the end game anymore I've heard you say in the past that you know don't comment don't comment on my body but comment on my performance and and that your body is your tool it's what you do to make a living well partly as you said you're you're also a lawyer so but when when the talk is around what you look like when you're at the starting line in a race how does that take away from the event and and just allowing you to focus on performance 
yeah, well, I get it. You're, there's going to have to be discussion about my body because my body is what lets me do what I do. And I've tried to express and explain to people that I'm not saying you can't comment that I'm muscular or that I look fit or, you know, I'm, I carry more muscle than your, your, when you compare me to the Africans. I have a very different body type from them. I'm not saying you can't comment in that regard, but to say I'm only recognizable because of my ass um, is insulting. To say it after somebody's complimented me on my performances in Rio is being dismissive and detracting from what I have accomplished. And I'm awkward enough on my own when people <laughs> congratulate me or recognize me. It, make, it makes me uncomfortable because I don't, I don't want that. I want to just be out for my run and I want to just be a normal person. And I, it's been odd to, recognize, to be recognized and to kind of grow into this role of being a role model for other Canadians. Yeah, but it's insulting. I'm not out there, you know, worrying about how my ass looks or if my abs look good or anything like that. Um, and men as men as well, like our distance runners, they're they're skinny dudes. Like they're they don't want to why detract from their performances. Our bodies look a certain way because of what we do. I always joke that grown men train their asses off literally to look like prepubescent boys and grown women train our asses off to look like prepubescent boys when we line up to race like it's it's the nature of what we do we're going to lean out we we don't necessarily have you know curves and hips um and we don't see ourselves that way and to to sexualize us or desexualize us or the you know the men to say that they're not attractive is is unfair and that that commentary has no place in sport we're or athletes, and you you see that with, you know, rugby players and hockey players for on the women's side. That when they do dress up outside of sport, people go, "Oh, look, like they, they are attractive." I was like, "Why, is that a shock?" And um, Sultana, our our hammer thrower, talked about that with in when within track and field, you have the little twerps like me, but then you have these big, amazingly powerful women throwing things across fields that I could barely lift up off the ground and the conversation is wow for a thrower she she can be pretty or she they are they can be attractive and wow they can be girly like just because they're they're built differently than you know the distance runners or the sprinters doesn't make them less feminine and doesn't make them less of an athlete and so my big push this fall was take all of that talk out of it because it's such a blurred line between what's attractive, what isn't, what's feminine, what isn't, should we be feminine, should we not, you know, we have contracts that make us, we have to post on social media and there's pictures of us in our sports bras or not, just, just talk to me about being an athlete then, let's make it a safe conversation that everybody's equal, we're all equal on that starting line because we're all athletes. I remember you saying on a run once along the lakeshore in Toronto, where you run a lot, that somebody came came up to say hello to you and had recognized you but you realized later that they had only seen you running from behind so they recognized you from your behind and how does that like how do you receive that how why is there some sort of entitlement where where men or people that are athletic are allowed to comment on 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 women's look why why does that still happen in in this day and age especially in this country well, to clarify, I don't think that cyclist recognized me by my behind, but the running companion I was with 
told me so. And that's where I, I, it made my stomach churn that my, my friend and my companion would dismiss the compliment I'd received or, um, tie that compliment to my, to my body. That was what shocked me. I really don't think the cyclist, and maybe the cyclist did recognize me by my butt, but I would hope it was because I have a more muscular butt than your average distance runner. Like I, I would, I wouldn't have sexualized it. I would have been like, well, that's Lanny. She, I, I have an awkward waddle stride and I have a thicker lower half than your average marathoner. So if you're going to recognize me by my behind, let it be because I'm, I'm, it's an athletic behind, not because it's sexualized. It happens for women a lot uh, for it to be, you know, 2017 and we're still having these discussions is sad. We've come a long way and I describe it as we have a seat at the table now, but we're supposed to just be gracious that we're sitting there and we're supposed to sit and look pretty. Uh, and that's not how I've ever viewed my role. I, um, if I have a seat at the table, I'm going to say what I want to say and have, you know, an equal conversation with the men at that table. Um, I went in court, you know, I've had male attorneys or judges address me as miss and address the, the men in the room as Mr. or district attorney. And so when they're like, miss, I always go Marchant. And I continue on, miss, I go Marchant. And finally I've had a judge go, yes, Miss Marchant, I know that's your last name. And I go, yes. And I said the judge by his, called the judge by his first name. I go, but when you're addressing me as miss and I'm in a room with all men, it, it makes me look lesser to my client um, and to the you know potential jury members, etc. I, I would appreciate if you would use my my full title, or just call you know call me Attorney Marchant, and you can call him Attorney So and So, and I you know I won't call you X <laughs> by your first name. And he was a bit stunned, and I was stunned that that came out of my mouth. Um, that happens sometimes. I I don't set out to be a jerk. It just happens. And but I was just it had I had had it. I'd been you know trying to argue a motion and been in court all morning, and I was being called Miss Miss Miss. Um, I've had you know males in that professional setting comment and say they don't know if they should walk behind me for the, the view or beside me for the company. And this you know I was a new attorney and I was kind of stunned and I didn't at the time have the voice I have now, and I think maybe that's why you've seen me kind of stir the pot a bit more is I've kind of come into my own and recognize that we're too far along in our world now to still for me to still have to deal with this and I've got nieces and friends that have little little girls and little boys and that they don't need to be having these conversations 30 years from now so I had the good chance to meet your mother recently when you were down and out not feeling so well but when you started to feel a little better um mary lou bless her she's a a a lovely lady um she said uh the brat is back the brat is returning and that was referring to you um being a little more cheeky which as you're telling here is sort of is sort of something that you relish but but also something that you're forced to do because of the position you're in. Where does that come from? From being an attorney or just from having to to scrap, uh, you know, and fight tooth and nail just to, to to be treated equal in in the roles that you do? I don't. I, I've been a brat forever. Uh, my mom would say because I I remember in high school, and this actually ties into this fall with all the stuff I was dealing with with people kind of not liking the words that I had to say. I remember being in high school. 
And so I'm 15, so we're talking 17 years ago. And it was summer, it was the warm months, and I'm wearing a tank top. And we were told we weren't allowed to wear tank tops <clears throat> because our bra straps would show. And it didn't matter that the guys in the school were walking around and then the style was to like have their pants really low and you could see their boxers all the time. You could see their underwear all the time. I'm a girl and it's inappropriate for you to see my bra strap. So I always, I told the vice principal, well, I can solve that problem. I'll take my bra off. And that's me at 15. So um, I've been a brat forever. I don't, I don't like double standards and whether it's affecting me or my gender or it's affecting male side of things. Like I... I don't like double standards. I want equality and equity for everybody. Um, and I remember being sent down to the office all the time because I wouldn't put on a sweatshirt over my tank top or I'd be wearing a sweatshirt that I earned at OFSA, but it wasn't an STA school sweatshirt, so it wasn't part of our uniform, and I'd be told to take it off. But they didn't provide sweatshirts for the cross-country team, but the basketball team and the hockey teams got them, the male teams did, and so they were allowed to wear them as uniform shirts. And I'd say, well, I'll take my sweatshirt off when he takes his off because I earned mine representing the school the same way he earned his. So I, in high school, I was very much this way. I kind of lost it through university a bit, and I don't know if it's because I was so injury-prone and plagued and I was in the South and kind of, you know, there's the idea to be a Southern Belle down there. I wasn't as bratty, I guess. I still was a little bit, and especially towards the end, I kind of found myself again. But when I was, this fall, I was speaking at a school, and the girls, they were speaking to like a grade nine uh, gym class. It was their health unit, and I was introducing the half-naked and almost famous article I wrote and asking them to shout out words when I showed them the male picture and then shout out words when I showed them my picture. And it was this really cool setting. And this female vice principal was sitting in there and I've since learned to like ask the adults to excuse themselves because I want the kids to talk freely. Um, And this vice principal kept kind of interjecting and was proving the, the point I was making that the girls were being told not to show their bra straps or that you know if they're they don't want to be in phys ed class because they're they're uncomfortable with their bodies well just kind of suck it up it's not a conversation about how they should become like how they can become comfortable with their bodies and here we are 17 years later and the girls are telling me how they're being told they're not allowed to wear tank tops in gym class because you can see their bra straps I'm going what like how is that still how have we not come beyond that that's what I was dealing with 17 years ago 18 years ago and these girl I was I was furious when I left it made my stomach hurt and I was I felt ill just to know that that's the same conversations the same issues are happening and I look at my 11 year old niece and I don't want her when her body starts changing to feel the same embarrassment and shame that I felt and that these girls are feeling now and if I'm going to have this bigger platform, then I'm going to use it. And people seem to not like what I have to say when, when I'm, you know, trying to speak, mind my P's and Q's. So fine, they're not going to like what I have to say when I'm not minding my P's and Q's either. So you were referencing a magazine photo shoot you did there, replicating a photo shoot that a male athlete had done with, sh- with shoes covering your chest, right, yeah. essentially. Right, <laughs> your hair as well, which right now is a lovely shade of um, aquamarine, blue, yeah. When you speak to, to to young girls like that, then, not to keep this all focused on body image, but 
what do you say then to them when there is this double standard you've talked about that, that still exists all these years later when you're out of school? But you've also said that like when you were a little bit older, you struggled with nutrition and, and feeling healthy and, and being skinny when you're in university, university. And maybe that led to some injury stuff as well. But how do you, how do you relate to young girls that look up to you now um, that you're, you're a known entity um, about body image and taking care of themselves? Um, I try to tell them like it's not worth it if like my tr- I, I, I joke and I always say I pity any guy that tried to date me in my 20s because I was miserable like I don't I don't know I didn't want to engage and be around people because I was so uncomfortable in my own skin all the time and it's because in in running in the sporting world everyone wanted to comment on how big my thighs were and so I didn't I didn't fit in with the other running girls um, and then you have the battle, though, of outside my sporting world. I see you. You're told you're supposed to be, you know, have big, big chest and curves and an ass. And because of running, I don't have that either. So I was like, where the heck do I fit in here? Um, and it took all, you know, it took breaking my pelvis and it took all these major injuries for me to realize that I, it's out of my control. This is what my body is. I'm, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and have longer legs. Um, so getting upset and frustrated and and damaging my body because I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and look different um, isn't worth it and so I try to tell girls and women and men for that matter like there's no place in sports for that self-hate and loathing and if you're struggling with it like find role models like me or Natasha or you know Reed and Eric who that they have candid conversations about yeah you know what when I'm in season I'm going to be smaller but when I'm out of season I'm going to let my body grow and, and get back to it's fine it's equilibrium again in terms of the the sexualization of young girls like that that's a conversation that needs to happen with boys as well because it's it's learned behavior it's a it's an accepted behavior on both sides girl and there's always the comments that you know, girls will dumb themselves down in math class to make them more popular with boys. Well, then you, it transfers over and girls will stop competing in high-end sport because they don't want to be seen as butch or as a tomboy. They, And fortunately, that is starting to change. And that's why we have, you know, teenagers like Penny winning Olympic gold medals is she she's not afraid to pursue her sport. And we, we need more girls like that out there as the role models because... I can only be as effective as, you know, the, the kids and the girls that are, and boys that are willing to listen to me. And we all know when we're teenagers, we don't want to listen to people in their 30s and 40s. We need, our, we need to listen to our peers. Um, and so I'm hopeful that, no, I'm not their peer, but maybe I can help inspire somebody of that age demographic to kind of grow their voice and figure it out sooner than I did so then they can kind of have those hard conversations with their friends and become those role models in their own community and their own age groups. Because, um, yeah, like, plenty of people told me to stop eating like an asshole. I didn't listen. I had to figure it out on my own. Um, but everybody that was telling me that, they were all older. And, yeah, they'd been through it. They'd been injured. They'd been sick. It didn't make me change my mind. It took me getting to rock bottom and realizing that I need to fix this. And so I think if the more com- comfortable we are as adults having these conversations about gender, about our bodies, about eating disorders, depression, mental illness, all of it, then the younger generations are going to realize it's okay to talk about it too. And that's where we'll see change. And that's where we're going to see role models that are actually effective versus 
you know, 33-year-old me that's just as harpy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get into a little bit of your, your motivations. Would you say now at the, at the level you're at and the platform that you have to speak about the issues you've just, you've just touched on, does that help fire you as much as anything else is reaching goals, uh, breaking records, um, that you're able to be this role model? Yeah, well, my goals have changed, and because uh, the last four years were all about doing, be, being the best runner I could be to make make all the teams and make the Olympics. But I kind of had this realization in Rio that, you know, it was it was amazing that Chris and I were the first women to run the marathon since 1996, and that's you know it was inspiring to many, and it was in, you know, you know, a big goal that her and I set out to do was four years ago when we got left off the 2012 team um I realized that running is so selfish and I you you get out of it what you put in and it's all on you and that being an Olympian was a huge accomplishment and it's something I am proud of but I had this weird thing and I did it when I set the record as well where I immediately distanced myself from it because I almost feel like it's not mine it's not it's not who I am and I it's something I did and that I don't, I'm learning to not push away my accomplishments like that. But then I think part of it is I recognize that that's all they are, are accomplishments. Being an Olympian is a very exclusive club, but an ever-growing club. Every two years, there's more Olympians. Um, holding national titles was, well, as of tonight, I'm no longer the national champion in the 10K road race. Like, I'm replaceable. Um, it's a title and an accolade beside my name, but... It's a, I'm one on a list of many. Someday, someone's going to break my records. Uh, hopefully, I lower them first, but inevitably, people are going to get faster and they're going to break my records. Uh, so my motivation isn't that anymore because I'm just a, a name on a page. I'm just a list of you know former champions, former Olympians, et cetera, et cetera. You can't take those things away from me, but those aren't what make me special. They're not what make me Lanny. Um, if I'm going to... If I want to leave my mark on sport, it's because I want to leave sport better than I, I came into it. And that doesn't mean faster. That means, you know, Athletics Canada adjusting finally their marathon standards and how we qualify for teams. Like that was not saying I was a single person doing that, but I have been very vocal about that. And we've seen now change there. I've left my sport. If I retire tomorrow, I've left my sporting world better. You know, I, it was a battle and it was hard and I, you know, made friends and enemies because of it. I didn't leave the sport necessarily faster. The standards are now slower. I left this, I'm leaving the sport better. Um, and that's kind of how I see with being a role model and trying to help, you know, the athletes coming behind me in terms of body image and gender issues is that's what I want to, for sport. I don't care what titles and, and accolades I have because 20 years from now, somebody else is going to have those same titles and accolades. But the, will that person 20 years from now have to battle to run two events at the Olympics? Will they have to battle for equal carding out opportunities and funding opportunities? Will they have to battle for standards to be fair in their event group and to the women and men of their event groups? That's my motivation now. And if I obviously I still want to run as fast as I can and I want to see how fast I can get, but that's a selfish part of my sport. I want that to be a bit more selfless um, in the things I do because... I want everyone to have that experience I had in Rio. And obviously not everyone can be an Olympian, but I don't want their, their stories to get there to be as bumpy as mine, mine was. You said something to, interesting to me 
recently, and you'll have to follow me a little bit uh, on this. You said when you were a kid, you were walking by about nine or ten months, and and came to running later. Your, your mother's a figure skating coach. You were a figure skater, and have said that you were made to run laps around the parking lot at figure skating um, because you're as a punishment because you were a brat, perhaps. <laughs> Um, and and learn to love those those miles. But uh, also around the same time you were born, eighty four was the first time they allowed women to run the marathon in the Olympics in Los Angeles. And and the next year the Canadian record was set. Well, the one that you ended up breaking for twenty eight twenty eight years later, I guess in, in Toronto twenty thirteen. And, and Krista also broke the the time. But you have the record. Um, so two twenty eight zero zero, I think, was the time. And the woman that you took the record from, I don't know if you've seen this video, but she said at the time that when she ran 228, she hoped it became a new standard that women would, in this country, would be able to run that level. But it took that long for that mark to be broken or equaled almost. So now that you, you've had that record for a few years and, and you know, Athletics Canada is changing a little bit in there, in their standards to allow more people to compete, as we said, you know, it was it was a decade before um, anyone was running the, the marathon in the Olympics again because they didn't they didn't allow women to go because our standards were so hard. Twenty years, ninety six, yeah, of course, ninety six. So, do you see yourself as as being able to to lower that bar? Is that is that one of your motivations? Yeah, uh, the joke is that I I said I think when we were talking about that is that I was literally born for this. I was born in 84. My age lines up perfectly to run the Olympic marathon um, for another cycle and possibly even after that. Yeah, like when Chris and I both went under the former record, look what happened. We have Rachel Hanna, we have Dana Pitahorsky, we have Tara Career, we have all Aaron Barrett, all these women thinking they can do it again. And I think whether, you know, and I, I, I feel bad because I don't want to always be like the harping on Athletics Canada but I think Sylvia Rudger set that mark and we had some women kind of in and around that time during um, her her generation of running but then I forget what Olympics it was they started coming out with these really fast and ridiculous times and they were so far out of reach of what our, we could do in this country that nobody thought to pursue it and um, I think Krista and I kind of accidentally hopped on this pursuit for the record and for change in our sport because we came so close in 2012. I was a 244 girl and I accidentally ran 231.51, you know, like I wasn't, I was trying to break 240 and most people would kill to do that like, <laughs> and, uh, that's where I, like, I, I'll, I'm the first to admit I didn't follow sport. I was busy. I was getting two law degrees. I was putting myself through law school. I was selling my plasma to do so following what Athletics Canada was doing, I, you know, the, the standards would come out. I'd look at them and go, well, good luck. Nobody's going to run that fast, even for the 10,000. But then I found myself immediately in those crosshairs all of a sudden in 2012. And Krista and I kind of took on that battle together. And then, you know, a year later, both went under the record. And the momentum we gained from that and the momentum women's running gained was huge. But you look and running's grown uh, on the women's side hugely over the last decade and I think now we have the percentages are more women signing up for marathons than men and that's still a fairly new trend so I don't know if we can take full credit I think like the the timing was right and the world and the Canadian community running and otherwise was ready for it and 
um, hopefully it does continue and that's why I need to hurry up and lower my record because I don't think it will be safe for much longer. I don't expect 228 to hold for 28 more years. I hope it doesn't. Obviously I hope I run faster but if it, if it holds for another 28 years and I see what Chris and I have done is almost a failure. I feel that we've not changed enough then to for our sport to grow and we're a great country and we're a, a competitive country and we have the talent to compete against the best clean athletes in the world and I want I want us to continue to do that and grow beyond um, my 228. So when you ran in Rio as we said it took it took 20 years for Canada to get a to get two women back in the, in the Olympic marathon um, because our standards were so hard, as we said. I, I remember watching on television and just being like having the chills watching you cross the finish line and your family was there and Krista Duchesne as well crossing the line. But you had doubled and, and were, what, 25th in the, in the 10,000 in, in a race where the world record was broken. And then two days later had to run and finish 26, is that right? 24th okay so you bettered the the 25th but you still got flack and people said well you didn't perform at a high level you did two events but at the same time we had people in the race and should not that be the motivation to have people there competing on the world stage and to learn from that instead of holding them back by these insane standards yeah well if you don't put us in the race then I we get a placing of zero <laughs> like um 24th is better than not racing at all I would think um, by no means was I doing backflips over 24th I know I'm capable of better and I'm going to strive to do better that for me was the best I was capable of that day and you know maybe by the time I retire I might move up a few spots by the people that get bumped out from doping but uh, I remember I think it was the 90 it, maybe it was the 96 Olympics it might have been watching the women's marathon and on a fluke I was a figure skater I could care less about running um watching it and the commentator talking about the lead women and how their the pace they were running was faster than what most humans could do for a mile and I didn't even really know how far a mile was at that point but I remember going I can do that and that was it, it was a fleeting thought I put on my skating stuff and I went to the ice rink and so it's really strange that, you know, 20 years later, I was doing that. But nowhere in those 20 years did I have a Canadian woman to look up to, to, sh to show me I could do that. Um, like I said, I think it was very fortunate that Chris and I kind of found each other and happened upon, you know, this, this struggle together. But for us, you know, that we there was Nicole Stevenson, there was Tara Quinn Smith, but... They weren't running the times to, to make the team. They were running fast enough by IOC or IAAF standards, but not Canadian standards. And they'd ruffle a few feathers, but then they'd kind of go away. And I don't know if it's because Chris and I just are that, that bit more stubborn. And maybe I, you know, I, I've questioned before, what would have my running career been like if I'd gone running route first, lawyer route second? But I think I was meant to do the lawyer route first because that gave me the education and the understanding and the ability to kind of be a stick in the mud and go well, I'm not going to just ruffle some feathers and go away I'm going to stick this out um, the debate about me doubling geez the people are still debating it and I to me I laugh because I go uh been there done that like 
you can crunch numbers and debate what event I would have been better at. Did I hold back in the 10,000? Did it affect me in the marathon? Like, debate it forever. Like, it's done. <laughs> Too Sorry, I did it. Um, I know I could not have run any faster than that 10,000. That was my second fastest track performance ever. Do I think I'm capable of better? Yes. Was my body cap- obviously faster in 2015? Yes. But I, I ran with my, like, my heart out in that race. And then I turned around and I did it in the marathon. And I ran probably with more fury in the marathon because there was no concern of what would happen. I wasn't going to screw up the next race. I, I had nothing to hold me back. Um, in that regard and then to have you know fellow Olympians and you know teammates comment that my performances were low (laughs) Um, I have a thick skin and I can kind I can brush that off but how dare you say that when there's the goal here was to inspire the next generation of of girls to run how dare you call me low performing and to the the teammates and the, the, the people I consider friends to, who favorited those tweets and favorited those comments and agreed with those comments, pick on me and give me a call and pick on me directly. But don't pick on me in a forum where now maybe you've scared off a couple of girls that thought they could go for it and who thought my performances were impressive. Now you've told them, like, don't even bother. If you're not going to go there and win, don't bother. And that, you know, I... I I don't think I'll ever get an apology from those people, and I don't expect one, but you should apologize to the, the girls that you've insulted by insulting me. And that was, like, that's the stuff that I, I don't tolerate well. Um, like I said, I have a thick skin, and I'm one of seven kids. Like, picking on me is not really going to change anything. Um, but don't pick on me if it's, and, and if negatively impact like the kids coming up behind me like that's not fair to them where did this steely attitude come from where did you where did you get this um my mom probably uh certainly my grandma the funny thing is my mom was adopted and we you know we we knew who her biological mother was and she lives here in ottawa Karine. But I didn't know who, like, who she was in relation to me until my, ado- my mom's adoptive parents had passed. And the more time I spend with Karine when I'm here in town visiting, I realize like, I come by it honestly. Like, she's a feisty woman, and she did so much for, for women in her generation. And I'm a brat, but so is my grandma, and so is my mom. And I think I'm just fortunate that you know my mom raised the seven of us primarily on her own. Uh, my dad was involved, but he had his his issues, and I think experiencing that, even seeing, you know, having to be about myself, the second parent in the household, having to help my mom out, seeing what she had to deal with, and also seeing what my dad was struggling with, like there's there's no time to tiptoe through the tulips. Like you, if you need something done, you just have to put your head down and do it. Um, and if people are going to get in your way, you have to find a way around them, over them, through them. The seven of us are my siblings and I. I'm always amazed at what we've accomplished because when you look on paper, we shouldn't have. And I, there's plenty of, of people I know who've had harder stories and worse stories, and that they've either they've battled through it or they haven't. Um, but I think you have to look at we had each other, and we had my mom and and Karine and almost in a way my dad, because of it showed us what we didn't want and what 
what could happen if you stop fighting and if you stop advocating for yourself and for the others around you, you can get lost. And my dad was very lost and my mom wasn't. And I think we, I got to see both. So you, I learned in, in getting to run with you, actually came to Toronto in, in the past six, eight months um, to focus on your health and focus on recovery. I never, never put two and two together there, but with what you'd been dealing with, with your kidney and, and your leg and, and still battling through and training. Um, and then on top of that, you, your father passed away and you, and you, you mentioned a little bit of it there. I think your father, maybe some addiction issues. Um, but through, through all this, you still seem to have this incredible motivation to stick to whatever the goal is. And, and right now it's, you're not running at the level you want to be, but where does that come from? Where does that stubbornness come from I I have this idea that you know not everyone's certainly born with the same gifts but athletes at a high high level somehow just have a way to push harder and maybe aren't born with the talent but are able to focus that somehow that motivation that stubbornness is that is that what's in you allows you to be the fastest woman in this country yeah, I've always I've always said, and I've actually had my college coach con- confirm it for me, saying that I'm not talented, I'm stubborn. <laughs> not the nicest thing a coach could, t- could say to an athlete, but I actually agreed with him. I'm not the most talented, I'm stubborn, and I almost just don't know better. I don't know any better. I, um, I was the first person in my family to go to university, and then I decided I wanted a law degree, and then I decided I wanted two, and none of that was easy. I f- happened upon this, this level of running, because running is my passion and I it was my outlet it was I grew up a figure skating family and I I couldn't do it right I was always in trouble whether I was self-inflicted trouble or not I was of course an opposite foot jumper so that means I take off most of my jumps on the right leg and I land on the left and I rotate clockwise where everybody else rotates counterclockwise like I just was always so friggin different but the one place it didn't matter was running you know, if, if I got in trouble with some of the guys and we had to go run laps in the parking lot, we're all running the same laps. Like it was, there was like a equal playing field there almost. And I, so running always has been that for me. And growing up and being the second, very much the second parent, being busy babysitting my siblings, bringing them to work with me at Zeller's because I had to go to work and there wasn't another sibling around to watch them for whatever reason. Like then I would get off work and have to get a run in because... My coach has been my coach since high school, Dave Mills. If he was going to take the time to write a program, I had no right to deviate from it. Um, it's a respect thing. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I do things perfectly and it doesn't mean I don't shorten runs or, or modify workouts. But if somebody's putting their time into me, I owe them my time back. And that doesn't change because I'm sick. It doesn't change because I'm injured. Obviously, now there's a bit more of an expectation um, for me to perform at a certain level so there's a bit more pressure on it but at the end of the day I'm going to run and perform to the level I'm capable of and if people are pleased with that great and if not I could care less Um, there's just you don't get to walk away from something because it's hard and this fall like we everyone talks about the the post-olympic slump and I wasn't expecting mine to last this long I picked to do New York Marathon to avoid the slump, and I was successful in New York, so I thought I was successful in avoiding the slump, but I saw personal relationships end. I saw my body fail me, 
And then I saw my dad pass away and then think I hit a reset button in Kenya and come back and end up just as sick as I was in November. Like, the one thing I have that's consistent is that I can go out and run laps around the park. I can go run those troubled laps around a parking lot like I did as a teenager. Um, if it's hard, you don't walk away. Because if I did that, then I'm my dad. If I did that, then I'm failing my mom for all the time she didn't walk away. And no, like, I think I'll, when you get to high-end sport and with athletes, you, um, we all kind of have that for whatever, and not everybody's story is my story, and some people have far, far worse stories, but you don't walk away when something's hard. Uh, otherwise, like, what's the point of doing anything if you're just going to turn around and walk away? No, I'm not running at the level I want to. My body's finally coming back to me, but, uh... I'm still able to run and I didn't get to this level of running. I didn't seek out this level of running. It kind of happened to me. So I'm not going to stop running or, or back away from running because I'm not running capable of running at this level. I run because I run and this, this level kind of comes with it. But that's not a reason to, to stop running when I can't race at the level I want to anymore or for a period of time because I'm going to get back to that level. I'm not, I'm not done with it. So... <laughs> It doesn't seem that way. You said something to me that sort of inspired the name of this show, certainly. Um, and that's something I see you still doing today. You call it minutes in motion, and that's keeping your body moving no matter what. And you've been off for a couple of weeks running, but we went out yesterday, probably only your second run after a few weeks off. And, and you said after that you were spent, but it was very taxing on your body, but you were still maybe going to go to the gym and, and do as much as you could it's this addiction to do as much as possible to move forward. Um, and that just astounds me. I, I don't understand that, you know, in a sense, because some people would just, would just quit or just wait or just rest. And I talk to so many people at our running group now about this idea about, you know, runners and athletes, we all go through these setbacks, some, some more than others and stress fractures and illness and, and all these things. But I relay that all the time now, this, just do something. Um, if you can't run, okay, ride a ride a bike, ride a stationary bike, or go to yoga class, or do something. And and you work from home sometimes remotely as a lawyer, but you'll be doing like core exercises while you're working on memos, and it's like non nonstop. Where does where does that come from? Um, well, like I look back and I I I, I just finished saying like this level of running happened to me, and I I don't mean that actually because I look back and. Nobody was telling me when I was getting out of law classes because of my dual degree when I was when I got to Michigan State my morning classes were the first year classes that I had to redo to get the US component and then the evening classes are when I would have the 3L classes the upper level classes and those classes would go till 9 or 10 o'clock at night and then I'd go home and I'd do P90X in my living room and nobody that wasn't because I thought I was going to be an Olympian that was because I'd sat in a school chair all day and I wanted to move my body. And my mom, through every pregnancy and all of us kids and everything, always would go, go for a run and push a stroller. Or I'd come upstairs and she'd be cutting music for skating and she'd be sitting there in the, in the, the splits and then rolling over and doing push-ups and back. And then she'd hit pause and roll over push-ups and back. And I'm going, like, that's what I, I grew up in was just moving your body. And with all of the injuries I had in my 20s and... Like I said, I've been with Dave Mills since I was about 15, so we're going on 18 years. Holy jeez. Uh, most stable male relationship I think I've ever had. Um, 
we always we we call it minutes in motion where after a period of time off um you know you, you cross train but you call it cross training and you you grow to hate it everyone always complains about aqua jogging and biking because you'd rather be running it's not your choice uh so i try to keep doing those things even when i am healthy to then associate it as it's a it is a choice it's something i want to do i want to move my body um and as we start sprinkling back and running you're getting to do your passion your joy again but you still have these minutes in motion and that's that's where my all of a sudden 2012 breakout performance in the marathon came from yeah i trained my butt off running but i had 10 to 12 plus years of always moving my body always doing something getting out of class and going finding the the pool on campus and and swimming um when i lived here in ottawa um I somebody gave me a stationary bike. I forget who. I think my I think Kareen, my grandma here. And I my apartment was no bigger than this friggin' table we're sitting at. And I had a stationary bike at the foot of my bed. And uh I just get out of bed and put my log books on there. And if I was gonna have to sit and read for three hours, I was gonna spin my legs on a bike. Um it wasn't hard, it wasn't aggressive, but it was just I wanted to move my body, but I also need couldn't justify not doing the readings for class so i i combine the two um minutes yeah minutes in motion and i obviously as i get healthier and i get back into running the minutes will be more heavily weighted to running but dave gives me active recovery rest weeks or days in between and that's where do something do move your body and then um once you get out of that phase out of the, the minutes in motion and active recovery rest rest weeks or whatever then it's run more than you don't so of the seven days as long as I run four of them great and there's no minimum that I have to run there's no maximum if I run four days of the week and I go 10 minutes each time well technically <laughs> legally I'm running more than I didn't and we then we build on that and then I get then I get my frequency back up so then I get back into running every day and then I get back into doubling a bit and we just we build from there but it's all my choice and it's all all of the extra exercises and the core and the quote-unquote cross training is all in there as well because the end at the end of the day when I am done with this level of sport I'm still going to move my body every day so why would I stop moving my body now and right now yeah I'm I'm only into my third or fourth day back running but if I want to accelerate my recovery and be ready for worlds or a fall marathon I can't just celebrate that I ran 8k yesterday because I need to move my body more and regardless of if I make it to worlds this summer or I do a fall marathon I like being active and I like being in the gym and I like the different settings but uh yeah I I'm glad that minutes in motion is catching on because I think it just changes your 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 mind your your frame of mind um on how you approach serious training but how you approach injured training sick training life training like my dad we had the the, the small family service for my dad and I had a fart like I was supposed to do that day and there was there was no way I was going to actually accomplish the paces of that fartlek. But I still went out and did it because it, a, it was a release from the the family issue, but I it was a way to move my body and just do something. Like the the workout was was actual total crap. I didn't run very fast at all. Um I think I walked some of the recoveries instead of running them because I was just emotionally spent, but I moved. I did something. Um it was late at night, so if if I'd been able to, I would have gone into a gym, but 
I just ran around my brother's neighborhood and just moved my body. We had had a very emotional day, a very long day. Um, it was right, you know, right before New Year's, so it was a, a, a bad time of year. It was never a good time, but it was a bad time of year for something like that to happen. And on paper, I was supposed to be back to training. And so I knew I needed to do something, but I didn't want the pressure. I didn't put the pressure on myself to be perfect. I just, minutes in motion, I needed to go move. I've said to you that I think I've learned more about running and training and racing on one on one uh, jog up and down the lakeshore with you than you could ever learn in, in a runner's magazine or a training guide. And I've said that this show won't be about me being a coach or or giving people tips on how to be better runners um but what i love about about that time that we we've shared and getting to know you is that you're never concerned about about the pace or the effort you just go out and and do it and i always say like you know i feel like i'm there to to help pace you or help you and your workouts you're you're a professional i'm a, a joke but but you just say i don't know i just run and is that a joy of running? Do you still enjoying it every time you're out there, even though all these things you've had to go through? But back from when you started running, is it? It's it's a stubbornness of. It started as a punishment when you started running, and now it's it's it can be taxing, but it's also your job. But you still love it, just going out there and and just moving. Yeah, talk about the the true bratty move. I take your punishment and make it into something I like. Like. <laughs> screw you buddies um wow I am I'm realizing how big of a brat I am um yeah like I I say when I talk at expos like I love running I'm not in love with running every day like anybody else there's days that I don't want to go out there but again if there's a respect aspect my coach has put in the time to write the program I owe it to him to at least go out and try I'm not going to succeed every time but I owe it to him to try but yeah like you I've I'm learning to appreciate it more and more and more because I think because this fall has been so hard and it's I I forgot how amazing it is to be able to move your body like you you were very kind to me and came up uh, like I was I was in hospital for a week and you came up every day and were there when I was taking my first steps walking and nothing has ever scared me that way that I physically could barely walk up and down a hallway and I'm like does that mean running's taken away like who like who knows or who knew at that time um so I like I do like and that that scared me not because maybe I wouldn't return to the high level of running maybe I won't go to worlds this summer or the another olympics maybe that whatever you know we were trying to fix with my kidney maybe that means I never get to run again and that's something I would never I'm not going to be okay with um I I can swim and I can bike and I can cross train but if the one consistent thing I've had since I was 13 and getting in trouble skating was has been running. It's the one that's the longest term relationship I've had. Like anyone with a partner, it doesn't mean you're in love with it every day, but I love doing it. And I, I hope everyone finds something that they're that passionate about. And now I'm fortunate success has come from it, but and it's, it is my job. And there are days that I, no matter what, I have to go out and, and put work in. But when it, if it ever, and I, made this decision when I broke my pelvis if it ever got back to where it was dread and I fully fully hated it I'll walk I, I'll walk away um, from running completely uh, fortunately I've not reached that point and I say in when I talk at schools or anything like 
if you have a passion, it's supposed to add to your life, not detract from it. And if if you make it, if you sign up for a race and you're training for it and you hate it, then, you know, I think stick to your goal and, and, and get to that race. But maybe evaluate and find something else that you enjoy or evaluate why are you hating it? Are you, are you, have you made your goals? Are you too hard on yourself or... Um, are you missing out on all the, the other fun of life? Like, do you have kids and you're so stubbornly trying to get a run and you're, you're missing out on playtime with them? Well, bring your kids out on the run. Get them on a bike and bike beside you. Find a way to make it fun again. And that goes for anything. Like, I, I love the law. I actually, my passion for running is surpassed greatly by my passion for the law. But when I first started practicing law, I hated it because I didn't like the, the type of law I was doing. Now I write appellate briefs and I do, it's research-based and I, I love it and I look forward to it. When I don't have a case I'm working on, I miss it. So I think what I, you know, when I talk to you about running or on runs and when I'm talking to other people, I just, I'm hoping, you know, the, the Let Lanny Run campaigns and the, you know, Half Naked and Almost Famous, my hair covering my boobs stuff, like that's all trying to make big changes in the world. But I'm also just hoping that people recognize that find find something that's you're passionate about because otherwise like I've been there where the world is very gray without it and now that I've I've embraced both my passions like there's so much more color in the world and it's so much more fun okay lastly as we're here in Ottawa and the race is tonight and and I'm gonna race and you're front and center on the poster for this race because uh, you won it a couple of times as we mentioned off the top lastly do you have any advice for me um, don't run the first K all out, but, uh, like for anyone who's racing, like you've put in the work and how the race actually goes is slightly out of your control, but embrace that. Cause that means like where there's risk, there's opportunity. And so if you want to try and do something big, you have to commit to doing it. So, um, but yeah, that first K is you, you bet go around that bend and you want to just take off sprinting. Don't do that. Um, but trust that you've you've put in the work and you're here here because you share the same passion and it's fun and you want to enjoy it. Um, you, I know your family's here and you're a new uncle now. So like run with all of that joy and excitement. Um, we we've talked before how I've said like I when I was in law school here and things were very, very gray. I made things better by I gave up caring. And um, I, for Lent, I, I gave up caring for Lent and people thought it was strange, but it was my way of taking a step back. And I told myself I could skip one class a week. Um, and I actually, it worked out that I never had to actually skip. There was just like a, a holiday or a teacher would cancel class. But by giving myself that out, I became a lot happier and a lot better. Um, and I, I'm type A and I'll always be type A, but I gave up being so hard on myself. And that's what I meant by I gave up caring. And I think I take that, and when you see me on the start line of races, I'm usually dancing and, and bopping around because that's my way of just, like, sh- literally shaking off the pressure and the stress and saying, like, putting both middle fingers up in the air figuratively because I try, I, other than magazine pictures, I don't flip off a ton. Um, literally just, like, saying, like, F off to all of the pressure and all of the bullshit. Like, this is now my fun, and I do not care what happens at the finish line. I just care about how I enjoy the process of getting there. I gave up caring and am a double Olympian. I, I really like your attitude, Lanny. Thanks. Thank you so much for this, and thank you for your time. No problem.
So there you are, our first feature interview on In Motion. If you want to learn more about what Lanny has going on, LannyMarchant.com. You can also check her out on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you want to read more about this interview and see some photos I took of Lanny or throw her a follow-up question, check out this show on social media at Minutes in Motion on Instagram and on Twitter, where you can also find the web links to download this episode and future episodes. Your feedback also welcome. Drop me a line in motionradio at gmail.com. You'll want to follow along ahead of our next episode with Jesse Zappo, art therapist, marathoner, and founder of Girls Run NYC. I interviewed my friend Jesse ahead of the Red Hook Crit in Brooklyn back in April. You know, if you want running to be like a part of your life forever, which is what I want, that's what I try to coach is like how to make it sustainable so that you don't ever have to give it up so it's not a trend or a fad, um, that it's always going to evolve. And so it kind of depends on where you're at in your life. But I also love that it's always been there for me in some shape or form. Episode 2 of In Motion with Jesse Zappo coming soon. My special thanks to Mark Thibodeau, Toronto musician and producer who helped me translate the ideas in my head to create the music and stings you hear throughout this show. We recorded it at his Toronto studio together. Mark, part of the group Repair at Repair Band Toronto on Facebook and repair-lab.com where you can hear and purchase tracks and find out about tour dates. In Motion is written, recorded, and produced by me, Daniel Bage. If you're interested in supporting or even sponsoring this show to help me take it further, get in touch on social or inmotionradio at gmail.com. Until next time, keep moving.